Well, good morning, everyone. Or shall I say, dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to celebrate in worship the joining of our God to his people. That's what worship service is, a celebration of our covenant relationship with the God of creation. Every single Sunday we get to celebrate that wedding. Uh, so yesterday was wonderful. We are going to read the scripture. I promise you, just bear with me. Um, it was great. As uh, Leonard alluded to, my wife and I got the blessing of doing the premarital counseling for uh, for this wonderful couple. And it was, um, it is what it always is, right? Liam and Myra are different people uh, joining together uh, with all of their greatness and with all of their carry-on luggage, right? And one of the things that we discuss is that marriage is the process of going through your carry-on luggage and not seeing some article that you're like, oh, my word, I didn't know that I was, that that was in the carry-ons, but that we say, hey, you know what? This is, this is what this is. And we saw it last night in a wonderful, wonderful wedding reception. We started the day with covenant vows and then we had a celebration of love and hope. And last night I wrote this down because I love the quote. Uh, Leonard said, for those of you that were at the reception, that a wedding reception is one of the last places that is actually appropriate to have, these are his words now, obnoxious joy. That was right, right? You said obnoxious joy, which is absolutely true, right? There was obnoxious joy at this reception. And and one of the things that you use if you want to really kind of amplify that obnoxious joy is song, right? Song does that for us. So the, the dance where, you know, you dance and then people have to leave, depending on how long you're, you've been married. One of my favorite songs, Helen Reddy. Uh, does everybody know this song? You know, Can I Have This Dance for the Rest of My Life? Great song from 1970s. The 70s were great. Uh, I played a lot of songs that I didn't know. Most of them uh, involve doing something like this, and then something like this, and then you shuffle your feet somehow. Um, they all seem to be on that theme. I didn't know most of those songs. Oh, the songs I did know, though, were Apache by the Sugar Hill Gang. Big, big favorite of that one. Uh, Get Down by Cool uh, and the Gang. Great song I like to recommend to everybody. Dancing Queen by ABBA. And Party in the USA by Miley Cyrus. The only reason that I knew that song is it was the answer to a Wall Street Journal crossword puzzle about two weeks ago. So I was like, oh, I know this song from the Wall Street Journal. So it was awesome, right? And you see people on the dance floor, you see people that shouldn't be on the dance floor, which is why I just stay right in my seat, um, even though, you know, you do this thing. And there's just no way to not be joyful when you're, you know, doing that, right? It just, it amplifies your joy to be doing that and to be doing it around other people. And there is a reason for that. Because God designed our hearts to be tuned by song. God designed our hearts to be tuned by song. And Christian music world knows this. 
It's why we have songs by, I think it's Michael W. Smith. If you grew up in the 80s like I did, uh, you know, you would go to youth group, and at the end of youth group, you would sing, friends are friends forever. And then that's all I'm going to sing, because I don't want to tarnish your memory of that wonderful song, because the welcome will not end. But if I sing it, the joy will end. Um, We sing, uh, kids learn a great song that helps to tune their hearts to joy, which is, you got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Come on. Does everybody know the song? Okay, let's just do it. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart to stay. See, that's a great song. Um, We love that. I could just do this all day. I could be like a DJ and just play music. Then we have this wonderful song, which a lot of you know, and I asked Leonard to please not sing it today because I want to use it in my sermon illustration, and that is a song that comes from the first verse of our psalm today. You may know this. If you spent any time in church in the 1980s or 90s, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longeth after you. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship you. You alone are my strength, my shield. To you alone may my spirit yield. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship you. You're my friend, and you are my brother, even though you are a king. I love you more than any other, so much more than anything. I want you more than gold or silver. Only you can satisfy. You alone are the real joy giver and the apple of my eye. That comes right out of Psalm 42. Here's the problem with that song. It literally has nothing to do with the psalm at all. It is a gross misrepresentation of the psalm. Do you normally rise for a psalm, for the scripture? You should rise for the scripture, which I'm going to read now. And as I read it, I want you to compare it to the song that I just read to you. Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, which is a song from God's songbook given to God's people so they could sing these together. Hear the word of the Lord to the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come before? And appear before God, my tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me continually, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in possession, in possession to the house of of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. 
By day the Lord commands his steadfast love and at night his song is with me, a prayer to God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of oppression of my enemies? As with a deadly wound in my bone, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me continually, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God. Defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to my God of exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre or the ukulele. My God, oh my God, why are you cast down on my soul and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. A word that speaks to us in the reality of where we are as a people. And thank you that your word even encourages us to sing to you out of our sorrow and pain as much as you encourage us to sing out of our joy. Father, bless this. Bless your word to us in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So, uh, as I mentioned, that song has virtually nothing to do other than the first line with the psalm. Because that psalm is a psalm written by somebody who is in despair. Somebody who says that the Lord has forgotten them. That the Lord is, why are you against me? What is going on? Why Why am I so cast down and... It's just about as bad as they can imagine. And when we do a wedding, we take wedding vows. And those vows include this phrase, for better or even more awesome. No, it's for better or worse. There's a reason for that. Because marriage is about joy, but it's also about enduring sorrow. So here are some songs that we don't sing at weddings. Everybody Hurts by R.E.M. Here's, here's the lyric for this. When your day is long and the night, the night is yours alone. When you're sure you've had enough of this life to hang on. Don't let yourself go because everybody cries and everybody hurts sometimes. Sometimes everything is wrong. Now it's time to sing along. Well, everybody hurts sometimes. Everybody cries. And everybody hurts sometimes. So hold on. 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 Everybody hurts. You are not alone. That could be a psalm, couldn't it? It's kind of like a psalm we just read. Here's another one we don't sing. Mad World by Tears for Fears. 
made famous in the movie Donnie Darko. Great film. You should watch it. Not with your children. All around me are familiar faces. Worn out places, worn out faces. Bright and early for the daily races. Going nowhere, going nowhere. Their tears are filling up their glasses. No expression, no expression. Hide my head. I want to drown my sorrow. No tomorrow, no tomorrow. Children waiting for the day they feel good. Happy birthday, happy birthday. Made to feel the way that every child should. Sit and listen, sit and listen. Went to school and I was very nervous. No one knew me, no one knew me. Hello, teacher, tell me what's my lesson. Look right through me, look right through me. I, kind of fi- I, kind- I find it kind of funny, I find it kind of sad. The dreams in which I'm dying are the best I've ever had. I find it hard to tell you. I find it hard to take. When people run in circles, it's a very, very mad world. Don't sing those at weddings. Not a big draw to the dance floor. Even though songs like that are an expression, a true expression of how we experience life. Right? It's not always Katrina in the waves, I'm walking on sunshine. Sometimes it's everybody hurts. And the great news about God is he knows that about us. And so he gives us songs to sing that say, I am joyful and I am happy. And he gives us songs to sing that say, I can't imagine it getting any worse How long is it going to be like this? Because I can't hang on one more day. Here's a reality. The number of people who are experiencing or have experienced depression and anxiety is rising. Suicide rates are just doing this. We have got a problem in our society. And I think that part of the problem is that the church isn't doing the work that it needs to be doing to invite people to come in and say to the answer to the question, how are you doing? Oh, thanks for asking. I'm horrible. And I've been horrible for a long time and I don't see it getting any better. What do you got for me? Well, we we got some chipper songs that'll cheer you right up. Sometimes we need to just sing out of where we are because the Psalms are an invitation to sing out of our sorrow to tune our hearts to joy. The Psalms are an invitation to sing out of our sorrow to turn our hearts to joy. So a couple things. This is a, this is an eight point sermon. I have 15 minutes. This is going to be, you know, it'll be what it is. So here's the thing. First of all, Scripture says that sorrow and depression are real. Okay? Scripture says that sorrow and depression are real. Psalm 42 and 43 says that it is one persistent. He says, my tears have been my food day and night. It says that sorrow and depression are serious. He says, I feel like your, your waves and breakers are, 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 are wafting over me. I can barely take it. 
They are like a deadly wound. That's language that says, hey, my situation, serious. Breakers and waves and a deadly wound. Oh, tell me how you really feel. So fine then? No, I'm not fine actually. It's like a deadly wound. It leaves us feeling isolated. He says in verse 4, I remember when I would go out with the throng. Which is effectively him saying, I don't go anymore. I don't go out with the throng. I don't go to church. I don't go to worship. Why? Because I can't handle it. I am so depressed, I just want to stay in my bed. It says what leaves us feeling forsaken. Two times in this sermon, he says that people are saying to this person, where is your God? Where is your God? Look at the misery you're dealing with. Where is your God? When's he going to rescue you? And so we feel forsaken by others. And not only do we feel forsaken by others in our sorrow and depression, the worst thing that happens to us is we feel forsaken by God. And he says that three times. Why my soul is cast down. Oh, my soul, why are you in turmoil within me? He says he feels forgotten and rejected. Why have you forgotten me? Why have you rejected me? Whoa. Hey, we don't talk like that around here. Right? We don't say things like that. You don't say to God, why have you forgotten me? Why have you forsaken me? Who says something like that? Oh, Jesus on the cross. So I guess if Jesus on the cross can say it, maybe we can say it. Oh, yes, we can, because it's in a psalm that was sung in public when God's people got together. So here's what we know about sorrow and depression being real. They are persistent. They are serious. It leaves us feeling isolated and forsaken by others and by God. And here's the other thing. Scripture says that sorrow and depression are not our normative state. Right? This is not what we were created for. He said, I would go out with glad shouts and songs of praise. So we know that there was this other part of his life that was joyful and he's not in it now and he's in despair because he's not in it. But what it says is that this is not our normative state. Uh, how many of you bring your Bibles? Okay, great. Here's what we're going to do. Little, little, uh, oh yeah, we got all kinds of time. Okay, so I want you to take your fingers now. We're going to do this. Grab Genesis 1. And Genesis 2, okay? So just grab them in your Bible like that, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, and hold them in your left hand, okay? Now I want you to take your Bible and just kind of flip it like that. And now I want you to grab Revelation 21 and Revelation 22. This is like a, it's like a little parable, like a little lesson, okay? So, uh, you got it? Here, here, here's, how, here's how mine is right here, okay? So I'm holding, in my left hand, I've got two pages. In my right hand, I've got two pages. I don't know how many you've got, depending on what version, but basically i got four pages. Then there's all this part right here. Guess where that is? It's where you live. You live in this part right here. You don't live in the part that your fingers are holding. Because you don't live in Eden, and you don't live in the new heavens and the new earth. So when somebody says, how is it going? To be truthful, you're like, well, 
you know, I'm not needing it. I'm not in the new heavens and new earth. So some days it's better than others, but it's not awesome. And that's okay because God knows where we're living. He knows you're not in the new heavens and the new earth, right? And I think that it's worse for Christians because I think that as Christians, we think that we shouldn't ever experience depression. We shouldn't ever be locked in sorrow because that's just not what God's people do. God's people are better than that. God's people got to put on a face so that people are like, ooh, I want to be like them. But when we do that, what we're saying is, you know what? We have put on a facade so that you can't actually relate to us in your despair. We're going to fake you out so that you feel like you couldn't possibly walk into the doors of this church in the reality of where you are because it's going to be filled with people who are pretending to not be like you. And that is not what God wants, which is why he gives us this psalm. So, what do we do? Six things. They all come down to this. Sing out of our honest sorrow and tune our hearts to joy. Sing out of our honest sorrow and tune our hearts to joy. Number one, be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. The psalmist is honest with himself. He says right here in verse six, my soul is cast down within me. He's being honest. How you doing? My soul is cast down within me. Okay. Just be honest. Hey, Jesus, your friend just died. How you doing? Well, I'm the author and perfecter of salvation. I'm holding all things together right now by the word of my power. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. All things were created by me, through me, and for me. So I'm awesome. Which is not what the Bible says. Here the Bible records the shortest verse in scripture. Hey Jesus, your friend's dead. Wouldn't have happened if you'd have been here. And it says Jesus wept. Right? So he made an honest assessment of the situation and the son of God wept. So it's okay to be sad. If anybody tells you and you're a guy, hey, you got to man up. Men like that don't express their emotions. You say, I'm sorry, was Jesus a woman? And this is not a slam on women. Like, I want to hear you saying this. We have done something in our society about men and women that is totally unfair. We say, oh, women are more emotional. I don't think they are. I think women are allowed to express their emotions. And men are not. And that's a problem. Number two, examine yourself, right? So honesty says my soul is cast down. Examining yourself is why so cast down, oh, my soul, three times. Why are you cast down within me? I'm asking a question. What is going on inside of me that I am depressed and sad? Ask the question. Maybe it's context. Maybe there's oppression. Maybe there's death. Maybe there's a relationship. Maybe in the middle of the joy of a wedding, you're wishing that your father could be there with you. But your father passed away a few years ago and he can't be there at your daughter's wedding. 
Maybe you're wishing your mom was there. Maybe you've lost a child. Maybe you've had a miscarriage. Maybe your marriage isn't what you thought it was going to be. Maybe it turns out the person not only had some carry-on luggage, but they had a trunk that they had kept concealed. Maybe you're dealing with besetting sin or, or illness. There are reasons to be sad. But there are also clinical, hear me say this, there are also clinical reasons that people can get locked into depression. We know this clinically. It's been studied. It's a known thing. Sometimes you can't pray the sadness away. Sometimes medical intervention and therapy is necessary. And those are available to us because God is a God who gives people knowledge about how to develop drugs like anti, you know, to help you with your diabetes or chemotherapy. We run to go get chemotherapy treatment. But if somebody says, you know, I'm not doing well with my postpartum depression. Oh, you know what? There's doctors and there's therapists who can help you with that. It's okay. Third, express yourself to God. Express yourself to God because he gets it. If you can say out loud, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's invited because Jesus said it. The world is open to you. God is big enough to handle your frustration and confusion with the fact that you are finite. You do not have all the knowledge that God has available to him. You do not know why things are happening. So if you say, hey God, what is going on? I can't handle another minute of this. And I'm pretty angry right now about what's going on in the life of one of my children. When are you going to reach down and help me? God's not, hey, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa there, Charlie. I'm God, you've got to treat me better than that. No. He says, bring it. I'm here, I, I can handle it. And my son has experienced almost everything that you're going through. Express yourself, not just to God, but to others. This is the role that the church has, right? That we say, I'm not doing well, and the church says, Okay, tell me about that. Let me walk alongside you. That was like, I was in that place a year ago, or I've been in that place for a year. I'm here for you. The church is the place where we can say, come in and say, I feel like God is against me. I don't know what's going on. I don't know when I'm going to get any better. Can you help me? The church is supposed to be that place. Not as the REM song goes, shiny, happy people holding hands. Right? That's not what we're supposed to be. We can be real. So we're honest with ourselves. We examine ourselves. We express ourselves to God. We express ourselves to others. Here's one of the issues that we have. When we're in the middle of a situation, we tend to get confused about reality. Right? We think that this is the normative state. I can't imagine it ever being different. We get locked in and this feedback just keeps going on. And what we need is somebody to come alongside us and say, hey, 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 no, no, no. Listen, it's not supposed to be this way. And it's not just you. 
Like what you're feeling is real. But, but you're, you're confused because this is just what you're seeing, but I'm here for you. Right? This is, this is what we do. Uh, fifth, hope in God. Right? Place your hope in God. Talk back to yourself, which is what he does. First he says, why are you cast down on my soul and why are you in turmoil within me? And then he says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation in my God. He says it three times. Each time he says, why am I cast down on my soul? He says, hope in God. He talks back to himself with the truth of scripture. In verse 5, he says, Yahweh commands his steadfast love. And here's the thing. This is marriage language. This is marriage language. Because when you see in scripture, L-O-R-D, all capitalized, that's the name Yahweh. That's the covenant name of God that he gives to Abram when he got married. When God got married to his people and said, I am the God of steadfast love and faithfulness. I am with you for better or worse. And guess what? God knew when he was doing this about our 5,000 secret trunks that we didn't want him to know about. He knew about every single one of them. And he's like, listen, I'm the God of steadfast love and faithfulness. There's no trunk that you are going to open that I'm going to go, oh, whoa, whoa, I'm done with you now. That's not how God operates. This is why we say in a marriage covenantal ceremony is a picture of God's covenantal marriage ceremony to us. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you for better or worse. And Jesus is the expression of this. Because when the marriage ceremony happens in in Exodus, or in Genesis, I'm sorry, in Genesis 15, when the marriage ceremony happens... Abram doesn't show up at the altar, so to speak. It's only God. He tells Abram to go asleep. Go sleep over there in the corner. I'm going to do this whole thing myself, which was saying this. Listen, if I violate this, I will be cut apart like these animals that I'm walking through right now. Imagine, imagine Myra and Liam holding hands and walking down the aisle together through pigeons and birds and goats that had been split apart saying, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never leave you or forsake you. And if I ever do anything wrong, you should split me in half like one of these animals. That's the covenant ceremony in Genesis 15 that only God participates in because he's saying, listen, I'm in this for better or worse. If I violate it, I should be like one of these animals. If you violate it, you will be like one of these animals. But I want you to go there and sleep in the corner. And if you violate it, I'll pay. I'll pay my son for you. Because I'm the God of steadfast love and faithfulness. And this is the hope that we have. We don't have hope that our lives will necessarily be better. We have hope that God will provide. Right? God provides Jesus. I'm almost done. God provides Jesus. Okay? But God also provides, and listen, I, I'm going to say this again. God provides Jesus, and Jesus is totally sufficient for our salvation. But he is not always sufficient for our mental health. Right? Just like sometimes you can't pray away cancer. Sometimes God miraculously acts. When I moved here, what Leonard didn't know at the time was that for about the previous 10 years, I had been suicidal every day. 
I'd constantly been thinking about driving my car, my bicycle into oncoming traffic because I was just overwhelmed. I just couldn't do it anymore. And I thought I was dying of cancer. I was almost 100% sure I had abdominal cancer. So I went to the doctor, and the doctor's like, none of this works. None of this, none of this makes sense. Uh, tell me a bunch of things about your physical health history. Then he's like, tell me about your mental health history. And I walked out of there with a prescription for Zoloft and three rounds of therapy because my childhood was the kind of childhood you normally don't survive. And I carried that for a long time. So when REM says, hold on, 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 we say, to what? What am I supposed to hold on to? This song? What am I holding on to? Christ. You're holding on to Christ because Christ is evidence that even if everything is going wrong, rescue is available. And the last thing we do is petition God. And this is exactly what he does in Psalm 43. He says, vindicate me, deliver me, send out your light and your truth. Sorrow and depression are real. And our hope is real. And our hope is Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this word. Thank you for your son. Thank you that your hope is real and enduring. In Christ's name, amen.